happy holidays my name is rita and we're reaching that and i welcome you to ip series where we get to talk about written ip cases and development globally if this is your first time joining us please don't forget to favorite my podcast so you don't miss out on any episode if you're a content creator an entertainer a creative person this episode was specially selected for you and our guest is super loaded with so much ideas so much information to share trust me guys you really don't want to miss this so let's welcome our guest mr lumi i hope you guys have fun as much as i did recording this so um i'd like to welcome our guest for today mr lumi could you tell us like give us a big brief background about yourself. Hi, thanks for having me, Anita. Um, pleasure to be on the show. Um, I'm an attorney, um, a lawyer, both qualified in the UK and here in Nigeria. Um, whilst I've been trained as a general practitioner in different areas of law, my particular area I've been, uh, been involved in for over 15 years is media, entertainment, and technology-related law. Um, I moved back to Nigeria almost a decade ago um, for that particular purpose. So after completing law school in Nigeria and NYSC in Abuja, I moved to Lagos and met my two partners, who all three of us run technological law firm in Lagos, um, specifically catering to technology, media, and entertainment-related businesses. Um, I also happen to be the current chair of the Music Publishers Association of Nigeria, um, which is a trade organization specifically designed to help increase and improve the opportunities for music publishers and owners of copy musical work in Nigerian copyright, um, for them to be able to benefit and see revenues from those copyrights from all over the world. So that's what I currently am doing. Uh, and what my brief background is. Um, CMOs, collecting on your organization, what are they? Okay, so um, to give a basic uh, gist of how in Nigeria, uh, as with any other country, uh, some sort of intellectual music, or you take a photograph, or, or you write a book, anything like that, that's original, um, that's creative um, and that hasn't been done by anybody else. It is the minute you record it in a fixed form, it becomes something that enjoys copyright protection under Nigerian law. Now, in relation to music, there's, there are two types of copyrights in music. Um, there's a copyright relating to a sound recording, which is effectively an MP3 or a WAV, effectively the song you hear on a radio or that you listen to when you stream online is called a sound recording. Um, and that in itself enjoys copyright protection in Nigeria and it's usually owned by the artists or their labels. Now inside sound recordings, they're made up of melodies, lyrics, instrumentals, which are actually called musical works. And those kind of work enjoy a separate copyright under Nigerian copyright. And as I said, completely separate from the sound recording. Now, those are called 
publishing rights generally. And publishing rights are usually owned by composers or songwriters or their publishers. Now, after setting that scene, we cannot explain what CMOs are. Once you own these copyrights, what it means is that you enjoy the exclusive right to do certain commercial things with them, whether play them in public, whether use them uh, in synchronization, which I'll explain later, and other rights. Now, the, the performance rights, whereby to allow people to perform that copyright in public, um, is usually exercised by you know, shop owners or hotels, your broadcasters, even airlines now, um, basically users that play as part of their businesses. Um, to do that is an exclusive right of the owner of the copyright. And so to able to, for them to be able to do that, they're meant to pay a license fee. Now it's impractical for individual copyright owners to be going around shops in Nigeria or every hotel to listen and see if people their music to then try and negotiate a license. So what then happened, um, and it first happened in France um, back in around the 17, late 1700s, was the copyright owners created a separate organization and transferred or at least gave that organization the rights to represent them. And that organization is a full-time organization dedicated to doing what I just said, which is going around hotels and airlines and shops and other places, bars, things of that nature, to ascertain whether copyrights are being used. They are to negotiate licenses with the owners of those establishments, collect the fees and distribute those fees to the appropriate owners. Those kind of organizations are called collective management organizations, otherwise known as CMOs. Um, do you think CMOs are thriving in Nigeria and in Africa as a whole? Okay, I'll start with Nigeria. Um, it's been a very hard job for any of the CMOs in Nigeria um, to actually thrive, as you said. Um, and I define thrive as they're growing exponentially. They're collecting a lot of revenues for their members, the copyright owners who they represent and they're distributing those revenues to those copyright owners in the proportion to which those owners are entitled. Um, in Nigeria, it's been a long, difficult road because the first major hurdle has been to uh, get past the mental barrier of Nigerians and Nigerian businesses that music and copyrights related to music have a value and that they belong, that value belongs to the people that created that music and as such to have the right to be able to use that music in a commercial context, licenses must or royalties must be paid. That mindset has been a hard battle which the established CMOs have spent the last part of that maybe 10 to 20 years fighting, which is to convince all these people that they have to pay for the work they use. So largely succeeded in a lot of those battles, the CMOs we currently have in music in Nigeria. Um, other African CMOs are slightly more advanced than we are, but they journey than we are, and I'm sure we'll get there soon. So to answer your question in a short format, um, CMOs are not quite thriving yet, um, but they've got past a lot of the major hurdles which would have prevented that, and now those hurdles have been overcome, so long as um, 
they follow best practices, I'm sure within the next five to 10 years, you will see significant growth. And in that context, we will then be able to say that they are indeed thriving. So what is the most controversial CMO case in 2020 so far? Hmm. Um, there's been a few, but in, when you say controversial, the one that uh, sort of um, is infamous. That rocked the, the industry, basically, like everyone was really talking about it and looking forward to the after yeah. effect and, Yes. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um, in that regard, I would probably go for the dispute between the two societies licensed to co collect um, royalties for music in Nigeria, the two music CMOs, which are the Music Copyright Society of Nigeria, or certain to NPSN, and the Copyright Society of Nigeria, COSOM. Um, those two organizations have been in dispute for a long time. Um, and the dispute, to be fair, um, stems probably from our current copyright act, constraints how, how CMOs can operate, but more importantly, it limits how many CMOs can be licensed within specific uh, type of copyright work or, or rights related to that work. Let me explain that a bit better. So. Um, Effectively, MCS was not licensed by the government, the federal government, for a lot of there was a dispute which Coson was involved in um, that basically was saying that no right to get a license when Coson already had a license to deal with music copyright. Because our copyright act says that no two bodies will have license copyright work if, unless, should I say, it can be shown that the body that currently has the license is not adequately representing those rights. So because there was Coton's argument was that you know, there was no argument on adequately for music owners. So on that basis, there was no power for the federal government to issue another license. So that was a, a major dispute. And it also sort of dovetailed um, into another dispute, because I'm also going to combine it, which was MCSN and multi-choice. That's a very old case that was first filed in 2011. Um, but that case also, part of multi-choice's arguments was that NCSN had no rights to demand royalties from them for use of music on DSTV and other channels, NCSN. Uh, in terms of NCSN was subsequently granted a license, so they have no issues. In relation to work they were collecting royalties for, um, and this is what the multi-choice case resolved, the Court of Appeal earlier this year, back in June, actually found in favor of MCSN, much like the trial court did, which is they didn't theoretically need a license to demand for the royalties for the work they were demanding, because before being a CMO, they were actually owners assignees or exclusive licensees of the works which they were demanding money for. So basically that's just to say that you don't have to be a CMO to go and collect or demand. Probably the most controversial case has um, MCSN and COSON. And uh, they've been disputing for a long time uh, because our Copyright Act doesn't really allow for more than one CMO to represent a particular class of copyrights 
or, or rights related to copyrights. And so um, Coson had been uh, filing lawsuits to prevent NCSN from first getting a license and also operating as a CMO without a license. However, why the matter is quite important is because it went all the way uh, to that dispute has now been resolved in a matter before the Supreme Court last year, which NCN filed. Um, and basically the court said that if you have an interest in copyright works, either as an owner or as an assign, assignee or as an exclusive licensee of the copyright works, you don't actually need to have a CMO license to be able to go and enforce your effect of those copyright work. And so under that basis, MCSN had won its cases uh, where it was demanding and collecting royalties for MCSN and COSON. And uh, they've been disputing for a long time uh, because our Copyright Act doesn't really allow for more than one CMO to represent a particular class of copyrights. Or, or rights related to copyrights. And so um, Coson had been uh, filing lawsuits to prevent MCSN from first getting a license and also operating as a CMO without a license. However, why the matter is quite important is because it went all the way uh, to that dispute has now been resolved in a matter before the Supreme Court last year, which MCN filed um, and basically the court said that if you have an interest in copyright works, either as an owner or as an assign, assignee or as an exclusive licensee of the copyright works, you don't actually need to have a CMO license to be able to go and enforce your effect of those copyright works. And so under that basis, MCSN had won its cases uh, where it was demanding and collecting royalties for even though it didn't have a CMO license. So that's quite a, a big case that was for a long time. But uh, I'll probably say that um, along with the multi-choice case, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, uh, probably the two most controversial cases from 2019 and 2020. Okay, how about the best CMO case in 2020? Well, um, a recent, uh, as I said earlier, um, there's an organization called the Publishers Association of Nigeria. It was set up about two years ago. And as I said, it's to represent the rights of composers, songwriters, and music publishers in Nigeria. Now, some of the music publisher members of that association, um, three of them, in fact, um, they filed a suit against Koson. It wasn't a suit looking for damages or anything like that. It was simply a suit that was challenging Coson's practice of something it calls general distribution of royalties. Um, okay. Quite quickly, all that is is that once a year, Coson uh, gives its 4,000 plus members something they call general distribution, which is 20,000 naira to every single member, regardless of whether they're worth or not. Quickly asking the court to interpret the provisions of that regulate CMOs and to declare that that general distribution is unlawful because the CM, the actual regulations provide that all royalties must be distributed usage of the works or, or logs showing usage 
or as close as to that, even if there's no logs or data. Um, and I'm really happy to say last week, in fact, because that matter was filed last year, last week in favor of the publishers. Um, and so now there's a subsisting judgment against Coson. Um, Coson is sitting on a lot of royalties that it hasn't distributed um, because okay. it argued that it didn't have enough data about the usage of the works to which the royalties relate for it to be able to pay out. But now with this judgment, um, they can't do that anymore. Um, and they're, they're meant to hold all those monies. So even if they don't have data or logs, they can use sample data or data from radio or TV to be their, their barometer for how they distribute the money that they have for which they have no data. So that's quite a big thing that's changed. And we got judgment in that matter last week. Yeah, I agree. It's a really big thing for the entertainment space. So is there like a proper structure for CMOs in Nigeria? Um, well, if you mean in terms of legal structure, yes, there is. I mean, we have a Copyright Act that complies with the international treaties on copyright. Um, the Copyright Act has created the Nigerian Copyright Commission as the regulator for all, all copyright works in Nigeria. Um, and pursuant to its powers under the Copyright Act, the Copyright Commission, which I said is the regulator, has uh, issued regulations um, which are specific for collective management organizations. And those regulations have to be complied with. So in terms of a legal structure um, and a regulatory structure, there definitely is a proper structure for CMOs. Um, but I guess your meaning is there a proper structure in terms of the commercial side, whereby CMOs are able to go and collect money from businesses without those businesses um, feeling that they're being uh, taxed effectively. In that regard, the structure is still being built. Um, and a big part of that is because the owners of copyright works are now starting, only now recently, starting to get themselves organized as units to be able to actually lobby and to enforce the rights that they have under our laws. So it's still an ongoing process, but in terms of legal and regulatory structure, there definitely is a proper structure for CMOs. It's now for them, uh, both internally within their organizations to run their organizations properly, and also for rights owners to, outside of CMOs, work together collectively and use the influence they have to, to change the system in a way that makes it even more amenable. So we know that at the beginning of this year, things were going well up until March, and then there was a lockdown, and then the pandemic. Did it have any impact on the entertainment and creative industry, especially in Nigeria? Yes, absolutely. Um, the music industry in Nigeria traditionally is built around the live, um, the live side of the business. So live shows and all the things that are part of the live show value chain has really been the main uh, lifeblood of the music industry, as well as you know, sponsorships and endorsements uh, for, for a long time now. However, obviously with COVID and, and the impact of the government measures to try and slow the spread of the pandemic, live shows as well as other kind of uh, physical interactive activities have all been stopped. And so musicians have not been able to generate the income they usually generate. And so everybody now had to really turn to the income they would otherwise should have been making from the recorded music side of the business. 
and the recorded music side consists of, you know, actual the streams, downloads of music and all of that. Because from all that revenue generated from sales of, of MP3s or streams of songs, that money that's generated has actually split in between the owners of the sound recording copyrights, which I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion. So those are labels, artists, uh, performing uh, musicians on a song, producers, and that's separate from the other side, which is the music publishing side of the business, which is you know the composers of the melodies and the lyrics um, and things of that nature and their music publisher representatives. So in that regard, everyone had had to really start looking at the income that their actual recordings and their, their publishing generates, given that that's the only kind of income that will still be available in the event that, you know, in the climate of there's a pandemic and nobody can go out to live shows and spend money that way, but everybody has increased the amount of streaming and consumption of music they do through other channels, which, which brings into play the recorded side. So the impact of it for the Nigerian entertainment and creative industry is that it has forced the industry to look at how the recording side of the business, which really is the backbone of any music business, um, works and how it can be improved because they are all now so much more reliant on the income they would make from that side of it as opposed to their usual sources which are live shows and, and endorsements so it's been quite in interesting and uh it's been a good time for anybody in the recorded side of the business because a lot of attention has been given to this side of things now yeah so could you shed more light on the msn MCSN, the Coson, and the multi-choice district has been ongoing for years now. Yes, it's been going on for a long time, but we uh, earlier this year finally got some closure. So um, a very, very brief background. In 2011, or sometime before that, MCSN demanded from multi-choice, uh, for multi-choice to pay royalties to MCSN for the music that multi-choice had been using for its DSTV channels and, and things of that nature. Now, MultiChoice was the one that actually sued MCSN, and it was asking the court, the federal high court, for uh, a declaration that MCSN had no right to make demands of royalty payments. And uh, MultiChoice used the same argument that Coson had used in prior cases, which is that MCSN was not licensed by the Copyright Commission to operate as a CMO, and on that basis, it had no right to be demanding royalties from anybody, especially multi-choice. So that was where it all started. Um, as I said, Coson had other suits that sort of aligned with this argument. Um, so one could actually sort of say that Coson and, and multi-choice were in the same boat in that they both were trying to convince courts to prevent MCSN from acting as a CMO because it wasn't licensed. Now, in 2018, uh, obviously, MC MCSN filed a defense against multi-choice and a counterclaim. And in 2018, the court granted judgment in favor of MCSN to the tune of about 6 billion naira that uh, it ordered multi-choice to pay MCSN for outstanding royalties that it owed to, uh, to the CMO. Now, multi-choice appealed to the Court of Appeal back in 2018. And earlier this year, in June, the Court of Appeal finally gave its judgment and it affirmed the trial court's decision, meaning it again agreed that
that MCSN did not require a license to demand for payments for use of works, which it, it, it uh, had interest in as an owner of the works or as an assignee of the works or as an exclusive licensee, and that it could enforce those rights without having to have a license. So that's where we're at now. Um, Multi-choice, uh, unless they appeal further to the Supreme Court as it stands, owes MCSN and MCSN's members almost 6 billion naira for past use of copyright work. Wow. And that's a big thing, a big, big thing. Yeah, any chance that they might pay? Like, do you think they will eventually pay that money? Personally, um, even if it goes to appeal, this is just my own personal professional opinion. Um, I think the argument yeah. is sound. Um, and I think MCSM will ultimately win over um, based on the way the law currently stands. Um, and generally, the way things are moving is that um, the system should be able to accommodate more than one CMO to represent a particular class of works, because we feel that that creates healthy competition, which will be beneficial to members of either of the CMOs, because if one is not performing, they have the leverage to be able to move their works to another. And um, if a particular CMO that hasn't been performing starts to have a steady stream of members that are leaving and taking their works with them, they will have less leverage to go out and, and negotiate licenses or enforce, enforce uh, the use of works. Um, and that would sort of keep them all on their toes, which is going to be beneficial for the, the copyright owners, who, in my estimate, are the most important person in this discussion anyway. Hey, so let's talk about the recent fraud case in the Kenya CMO um, report that was um, rolled out. I think that was like two, three months back. I don't know if you saw it. What's your opinion about fraud cases and CMOs? Um, yes, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated thing. Uh, Kenya has shown that, uh, that these problems that we have in Nigeria or challenges are not necessarily isolated to Nigeria alone. It may possibly be an Africa-wide thing. Um, but really, as I understand it, um, a little while ago, the CEO of the, of the Music Copyright Society of Kenya, MCSK, was arrested for fraud on allegations that you know, he was uh, stealing royalty money uh, through his wife's company, money that really ought to have been dispersed to uh, the members. Um, I mean, from, I didn't hear much about what happened after that incident, but what I do recall is uh, earlier this year, or last year, a couple of years ago, should I say, 2018, the same society, M M uh, Music Copyright Society of Kenya, then also had its own license to operate as a CMO revoked by their own regulator. So in Nigeria, we have the Copyright Commission. In Kenya, it's the Kenyan Copyright Board, Kekobo. Um, so Kekobo revoked MCSN's license to operate as a CMO at that time. Um, and then I didn't hear much again, but earlier this year, if you go to the MCSK's website, um, there's an announcement with pictures that their license was renewed earlier this year. But what's quite interesting in Kenya is that their copyright CMO regime is not as restricted as ours. More than one body can represent a particular class of works, um, which, uh, which we believe is a, is a good thing that should be implemented in Nigeria. But what the, uh, the regulator in Kenya did is a condition for issuing licenses to those multiple bodies was that they must license their works to users jointly. 
so that users don't have the worry of thinking, okay, if I use one, this, if I play this song in my shop today, I have to get a license from one body. If the next song that's played is a song that's owned by, an, owned by another body, I have to go and get a license from them separately and so on and so forth. So, prevent, so to prevent that kind of difficulty and friction uh, for users to be able to get the licenses they need to use music in a commercial sense, the, um, the Kenyan Copyright Board gave these CMOs licenses, but strictly on the condition that they must license their works jointly, which makes life easier for, for Kenyan uh, copyright users. So the organizations are the um, Kenyan Association of Music Producers, the uh, Performing Rights Society of Kenya, and now also the Music Copyright Society of Kenya. And I think the model they're using is something that we, we can really look to in Nigeria to help develop our system also. Um, so how can CMOs help creatives unlock their economic value, help them in commercializing and exporting? Yes, I mean, the first context. way that CMOs are meant to be able to do that, and they should, is that CMOs are meant to have resources, or at least deployed money to acquire resources, that give them the ability to monitor where and when works of their members are being used. Currently in Nigeria, you know, works are used in all kinds of contexts, maybe in one local joint here or there, of which there are millions all over the country. But because, as I said, um, rights owners don't have the resources themselves, and even if they did, it's not practical for them to be enforcing and investigating these rights themselves. That is the primary job of the CMO. And the key reason that matters is because they're going to provide um, the CMOs, if they do their jobs right, doing this provide their members and copyright owners additional sources of income, not just income, but passive income. And why that matters, as I alluded to earlier, is in this climate of which it's, uh, we don't know when things will return to normal, if ever, in terms of the live sector. It's even more crucial now that people that have been full-time musicians that were making a decent living, it doesn't have to be the superstars, just people that were making a decent living performing at shows or weddings or their original works in, in various uh, settings are no longer able to do that. And they have to now rely on the income that their music generates from people consuming it on the web or through radio and broadcast and in other ways which don't breach sort of COVID protocol guidelines. So if um, CMOs really can help, can uh, do their work and deploy their resources properly in this regard, that will certainly be able to help artists uh, as well as composers unlock their economic values. Secondly, um, once CMO is actually able to collect money, um, a key thing is that they are able to pay their members accurately and regularly. Um, currently as it stands, uh, as I understand in Nigeria, it's usually an, an only ever an annual payment, once a year that payments are made. Um, which is not a reliable source of income for any, any user. It'd be better as with other countries if these things were done quarterly or at least twice a year. Um, and that, you know, they get their just dues for the amount of money their works generated, which hasn't been the case till date. A third way that CMOs uh, can help creators unlock economic value is what I say is the next battle. The first battle, as I mentioned, was just convincing users um, and Nigerians that there is a value to music and to use it for commercial purposes, you must be ready to pay for it. 
Um, that battle is, is still ongoing, but a lot of that has been won now. The next battle is to increase the rates that are paid for music. Currently, um, from my understanding, um, is that, you know, for example, broadcasters, some of whom, whom are multi-million dollar companies, pay maybe a million or, or no more than five million naira a year for the, the license to use the thousands and tens of thousands of works they use and play and broadcast on their networks. I personally think this is unacceptable. Um, hopefully we'll be able to move soon to a stage whereby it will be based on a percentage of their revenues, however small a percentage that is, because I think that's more of an accurate reflection of the value of which the music brings to their business. So higher license rates is a third way I believe CMOs will be able to unlock economic value for creators. Um, and lastly is that um, from the use of works that CMOs are able to ascertain, it provides invaluable data and information to owners of those works to know who, where, when, the type of demographic of person that enjoys those works, which should hopefully uh, give them more valuable data to improve their marketing and distribution and the type of content they make um, to meet the demands of those particular customers that are clearly interested in and, and like their music. So just to recap, the four ways I think CMOs can help unlock the economic value of creatives is by firstly deploying their resources correctly to go and ascertain usage of works and to get and to get the payments of royalties or license fees for those works. And equally tied to that as the second point is that they pay that money regularly and accurately to their users so that their users get uh, income, not just once a year, but a few times a year. Um, they can also thirdly then go and uh, fight for higher license rates to be paid for the use of music. And lastly, provide information and data to their members of where and how that their music has been used in terms of performance rights and, and by hotels and other kinds of commercial users in that regard. So those are the ways I think they can uh, unlock the creative value for, for uh, creators. Fantastic. So what is the role of the regulatory body like? Um, it's pretty um, straightforward, Nigeria like Congress. any regulator of any sector, whether it's CBN with the banks or whether it's the Nigerian Communications Commission for Information Communication Technology Providers. Like any uh, regulator, um, the Copyright Commission's primary job is to ensure compliance with the Copyright Act. Um, the Copyright Act is the foundational a legal document that regulates how copyright, including music copyright works in Nigeria. Um, and so to make sure that all the relevant people involved, whether it's just normal citizens in how they use copyright, how creators are compensated, uh, how CMOs work, all these various stakeholders, uh, it's their job to ensure that they comply with the provisions of the Act, first and foremost. Um, now, to achieve this, obviously, they have powers, um, powers to inspect, places, uh, uh, to, to go into places and inspect whether there are infringing copyright works there and things of that nature, and also to issue regulations to control CMOs and other such stakeholders. Um, so they oversee what CMOs do to ensure that those are operating within the law as well, um, particularly those because they are probably the most powerful um, stakeholders within the ecosystem outside of the, the major copyright 
owners, such as labels and, and music publishers. Um, and another thing is for them to, to actually prosecute, take on the criminal side of, of copyright law, because our law not only provides civil remedies for breaches of, of copyright, but it also provides criminal remedies because it, it, it makes it an offense to knowingly infringe on copyright works. And so that's another area in which um, the NCC has a role to play. And um, above all, or should I say underpinning it all, is their continuous education of the public on what copyright is, its importance, and how it can help develop the country if it's suitably respected and valued. So, I mean, as I said, the main thing is to make sure people comply with the Act. And based on that, they're able to oversee and supervise the various stakeholders um, to make sure they are law to prosecute. Um, and with all that, they should also be educating the public at the whole time. In my view, those are the main things that should make up the role of the NCC. And to be fair to them, they, they, they do make efforts in that regard. Of course, resources or lack thereof is a bit of a challenge, but that's a challenge all around. So, but there's a long way for them to go. Um, but I will give them dues that they are very open to input from stakeholders and they do listen to advice and comments that are given on some of their initiatives and, and uh, strategies. Great. So in your opinion, your own opinion, what is the way forward for revenue or real Okay, um, this is a great question, generation? in fact. Um, it's, the answer to this question is not going to be as uh, glamorous as one would expect. But really, we're in a situation in Nigeria where we have a humongous... Okay size market potential of potential users, you know, the much talked about 200 million Nigerians or billion, 1.2 billion Africans. However, the issue is that a lot of our users aren't using or accessing the music through formats that are recognized by copyright royalty collecting bodies. So all our, we'll be generating a lot of uh, uh, usage at one time, it was through pirated CDs or whatever, but that money was never uh, was never collected by any major body to be able to distribute to the owners. So I would say the first thing we need is just a better documentation of the ownership of works in Nigeria. Who owns what? You know. So on the sound recording side, I mean, they're already pretty much covered. There are recording agreements that sort of set out what percentages the label owns, which is usually you know anything from 70 to 90 percent, and what percentage the artist owns of the sound recording, which is anything from 10 to 18 percent on average. Um, in terms of the music publishing side, which is composition and songwriting and, and uh, creating instrumentals, things like that, it's still, it's still not as developed. Um, and if you think about it logically, you know, when people are in the, in the studio vibing, having studio sessions, they're not at that point thinking about the paperwork of the split sheets, which are the documents that set out who owns what percentage of the song that's been created. You know, if there's someone that wrote the lyrics, maybe they own 30%. If it's someone that created the, the producer that created the instrumental, maybe he owns 50% because the instrumental is half of the composition with the lyrics and vocal melody making up the other half kind of thing. There are different ways to do it. But the point is, is that, we, in that side of the business, the music publishing business, there's not really enough of a structure yet. Um, the publishing companies I'm working with have been using a lot of technology, 
such as apps that while you're in the studio session can help you create a split sheet just using a simple app without doing all the boring paperwork. But however we do it, we've got to get better documentation of who owns what in our copyright works. That leads to the second thing, because we haven't been able to register our works with the international bodies that collect royalties on use of those works. Um, so even if money has been collected on works, because the international bodies have not, do not have in their registers the owners being this Nigerian composer or publisher, that money they collect will not be paid to those people. But for them to register your ownership in their system, they first, you first need to have documented evidence of your ownership. You see, it's a sort of chicken and egg. So once we have better documentation, that will lead to increased registration of, of the interests of Nigerian composers and publishers in works that are having global success and that are recognized by the international CMOs. Um, thirdly, domestically speaking, I'll again repeat higher licensing fee rates. Um, I think the rates across all licensing from various mediums are just way too low. But to be fair, the initial battle of having to just to convince them to have to pay was the first hurdle, but I believe that's been crossed now. So we must face the next uh, uh, challenge, which is to increase the rates and fees that are paid for music. Um, and lastly, composers and songwriters should be aiming to create uh, always higher quality music, but also music with diversity that can is suitable or can be used for alternative licensing opportunities, apart from just selling it as a song on Spotify or as a stream. Um, because a lot of the good income that comes from publishing comes from using music in synchronization with images, whether it's uh, in synchronization in a game, so it's a soundtrack for a computer game, or it's a soundtrack for a TV show or a movie or a web series or an advert, for example. Um, those are one of the largest sources of income outside of CMO revenue that's coming in for uh, music composers and publishers. Um, these days. So to recap, the way forward for royalty generation is first better documentation of the ownership of works of who owns what works in Nigeria. Secondly, increased and better registration of the interest of those who own works in Nigeria, registering them with the international CMOs so that those ones recognize their rights and will therefore pay money to them when it, it's collected. Thirdly, we need higher license fee rates. And lastly, composers and writers uh, need to continue to create quality music, but try and be as diverse as possible to make music that can be used for other income generating opportunities, particularly synchronization. Fantastic. Um, so in your opinion, who is the best CMO? This is such a loaded question, Lisa. So let me qualify it by saying, <laughs> by saying, I will define <laughs> best according to what I expect CMOs to do, which is the CMOs that are collecting the most money and distributing the most money to their users. Yeah. And on that score, it really has to be COSON, despite everybody, all the documented and well-reported challenges within COSON and whatnot. It's still, without doubt, because it collects money, it also provides... Uh, updated accounts of every year to its members at its general meeting. I, I, gen I always look at those. Um, 
and it, it does what it's meant to do. It needs to improve how much it distributes, which was the point of the lawsuit filed by the publishers, which they got judgment for last week. But as long as they improve in their distribution, they're still doing better than other CMOs. They are, yeah. on that basis, based on how much they collect and how much they distribute, they are the best CMO in Nigeria, despite all the challenges that they're facing. Mm -hmm. I'm actually surprised, but I think, <laughs> yeah. So um, how can, how can ADR be used to resolve CMO disputes? So, you know, most of the cases, the cases, three cases actually you've talked about were all litigation. Can we use alternative dispute resolution? Yes, to that's a great question. Um, I mean, with, let me, let me separate it out. When CMOs have mechanism through which the Copyright Commission as a regulator usually steps in to resolve it, and if not the Copyright Commission, the, the ultimate decision-making person in that regard will be the Attorney General of the Federation, um, because uh, Copyright Commission and copyright-related matters are under the Ministry of Justice. Um, if we're talking about disputes between CMOs and uh, users of work. So for example, um, MCSN versus multi-choice. Again, there are mechanisms provided for um, in our laws for copyright that uh, in such a situation, particularly if it's related to the license fee being demanded by the CMO, if there's a dispute as to the license fee, there is, there is a mechanism for the NCC to put together a dispute resolution body to actually hear both sides and then make a decision as to what the rate should be, which would then be binding on both sides. I'm not aware that this mechanism has ever actually been tried in Nigeria, but I am very sure that that mechanism exists within our laws and will likely be tested sooner rather than later. Um, if we're now talking about disputes between, um, between stakeholders in the industry, you know, traditional disputes, whether it's artists versus labels or composer versus publisher, or between artists or between composers if they're arguing over the same music. Um, ADR, like any other area of dispute, um, it's been encouraged actively, um, particularly because it's private, it, um, it's usually a lot quicker, and it's, or should I say, it's meant to be a lot quicker and it's meant to be a lot cheaper. Um, what we found uh, with a lot of clients we've worked with over the years, however, is um, uh, ADR usually, uh, unless it's arbitration, which I'll come to separately, but the other means of ADR, mediation, conciliation, because um, they really effectively, they are a means of reaching a resolution by which the parties will be bound in a sort of contractual form. If after that's been, that's happened, if one of the parties reneges and does not uh, continue on with what they've agreed to do in the mediation or conciliation, the only option open to the agreed party is again to go to court. So in that respect, almost um, mediation or conciliation may seem to almost be a delay before the inevitable, which is court. And of course, we're trying to avoid court where possible, um, just so we don't clog up the courts and because it's quite a slow system anyway. So I'm not sure how useful those are in that regard, but they are still um, definitely worth exploring because they're a lot cheaper and, and are usually a lot quicker. 
Arbitration is different to the other forms because it actually results in a, not just a, a binding award, which is binding on the parties, but that award can be enforced as a judgment in and of itself. Also, arbitration awards are generally non-appealable, which is good. Now, the downside for arbitration is that it's quite expensive. Um, a lot of people forget that when it comes to arbitration, it's the parties, but the party that wants to follow through if the other party is not really fulfilling its obligations under the arbitration agreement. The parties have to pay for the arbitrators, pay their fees, as well as the venue and all those sort of logistic related things, which you would normally not obviously have to pay for in court. Um, and that can be quite expensive, particularly if arbitrators are using scale of fees that are based on you know, uh, uh, globally recognized arbitration rules and formats. So it can prove quite expensive. So to, in a nutshell, ADR is very important, are very slow, and that's huge. As well as the fact that they still write longhand, which is insane in the 21st century. Um, but the other forms of mediation, uh, particularly the non-arbitration related ones, they are good. However, if a party doesn't fulfill its obligations, one still ends up in court anyway. Um, so we might still find that you'll get to the same problem. Whilst arbitration, even though it's much stronger than the other forms, proves quite expensive and usually too expensive for the cost structures of a lot of the entertainment industry stakeholder clients that we usually deal with. So it's something that we need to think on a bit more. Um, maybe we might need to think of a unique way of tweaking one of those modes to suit the media and entertainment industry in Nigeria specifically. How can CMOs commercialize? How do you uh, mean? Rights you clarify me what you mean. Okay, so you know that the CMOs basically act as middlemen between the artists and then the organizations yes, that get to correct. use the artist's um, work. I, I know when, yeah, so in the course of our interaction, you made mention of um, some kind of synchronization rights. And we know that Syncrite basically has to do with when you license your song to people to use it for various things. Now, can CMO help you exploit and benefit from this without having to involve you at the end of it? Because basically they're going to be the ones to get the royalties and then send you- Yes, great question, I understand that. Um, let me start by separating two things out. So you are absolutely correct. Synchronization rights are when music or sound recordings are used um, in conjunction or in synchronization with moving images. Now, generally, synchronization rights are handled by rights owners personally, whilst they usually then outsource the, the administration of performance rights. Those are the rights to perform the music in public, which is where you know, hotels, all those kind of people I've mentioned are involved. So usually owners give CMOs the right to administer performance-related rights, but then administer synchronization rights themselves. Now, that's the normal structure. However, there's, I mean, the, the agreement between a, a member of a CMO and the CMO is, is a contract at the end of the day. Um, and that contract obviously usually involves the owner, the member, assigning 
or licensing the works to the CMO to go on and, and uh, represent it in relation to a specific kind of rights, performance rights, for example. Then there might be a CMO that you will give the rights to administer your mechanical rights. Now, we're not going to get into the details of performance and mechanical rights, but I just wanted to sort of set a scene. So in a short answer to your question, which is that can CMOs help uh, copyright owners commercialize and, and leverage on synchronization opportunities? The answer is yes. If at the point of membership, the member, uh, as part of the membership agreement, assigns the rights to administer synchronization to the CMO, the CMO can do it. In fact, um, COSON's actual uh, signing up form includes a deed of assignment in which effectively, which I think is strange practice, but that's uh, another issue for another day. Um, members actually assign their entire copyrights to COSON. Now, of course, when you leave COSON, COSON, those rights would revert back to you, but because you've assigned, which is really not standard practice, theoretically, COSON would have to reassign those rights back to you when you leave. Um, the way it's usually meant to work is you simply grant the CMO a specific license or rights that in this specific, in relation to these specific rights or works, so, okay, I've licensed to you the rights to handle it for me whilst I'm your member. So that's a license, which means it's still yours, but you are now granting them the license to represent you. Meaning that if you leave those licenses, there's no document that needs to be executed. The rights revert back to you automatically. But you know, as I said, the way we do it here is we actually assign all our rights, which technically also includes synchronization rights because there's nothing that says we assign, I hereby assign my rights in this works, accept uh, synchronization rights or accept this or whatever. It doesn't say that. It just assigns all the rights to the works you are giving them to them, which theoretically means if they wish to, they can administer and enforce synchronization rights on behalf of, um, of copyright owners. But I don't think CMOs are in best position to do that. I think music publishers are better for that role because part of the day-to-day -day job of the music publisher is, is building the network of potential users uh, of sync rights. So, you know, it has a network of film producers or advertising agencies that are, are doing campaigns that they need music for or, or game development companies. That's part of the job of what a publisher is uh, and does. So I think in that regard, whilst CMOs can do it for people, I think it's better if it's done through music publishers. Is that like a value chain um, in the CMO? Well, let me describe it this way, if I think I understand your question correctly, which is like, what's the, what, who are the players at the different parts of the value chain when it's related to CMO activities? Is that correct? Have I interpreted your question correctly? Okay. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. It starts, of course, as always, as with everything. Yes right related business like music it starts with the copyright owner uh, that is the person at the top or at the bottom of the value chain depending on how you look at it um, and that person then grants the rights to the CMO who is the next important person in the value chain um, and the CMO then goes to deal with uh, what's it called users who are the next people in the um, and then the users pay and the CMOs collect the money. And then sometimes the CMOs 
hire specialist organizations to handle administration or the digital aspect of it, if it's related to um, digital administration, so that's creating dashboards for members to see how much they've been paid and how, where their works have been used. Um, so the main players in the value chain are the copyright owners, the CMO, and the commercial users. Although there are now other stakeholders that are effectively service providers that help different people along that value chain to make their activities more efficient overall. It's quite a small sort of a value chain, so to speak, but the, the, uh, the impact it has on the industry, considering it's single-handedly the largest source of income for uh, copyright, music copyright owners, aside from anything else, um, they're a very important part of the industry. So finally, is there like a proper music publishing structure in Nigeria and what Fantastic. trends do um, we hope to see There is in now a, a proper music structure. It's nascent, but it's there and it's growing. Um, I've actively, and my firm have actively been part of it, um, both in representing and helping company, a music publishing which we set up for the main, the top line music producers of the last about 15, 20 years. Um, producers uh, uh, such as SARS, producers such, um, uh, why are their names escaping? Puffy T, um, Flip Ties, TY Mix, a lot of the legacy producers that have made a lot of the major hits for the last 20 years. They came together and decided to form uh, a music publishing company to represent the rights of music producer composers who till that point were not represented at all. Once they were paid their usual license fee to, to create a beat for somebody, that was that. They would never see any more income from those works, even though under Nigerian law, the instrumentals that they created and all that was transferred when they got paid to, for the beat was simply a non-exclusive license for the label or the artist to use the work, meaning they could theoretically go out and let, license that same beat to other people. But because they weren't aware of their rights, how the, the law worked, um, our firm worked with a number of them to help them incorporate a company called Greenlight Music Publishing, assigned all their rights in the works to that publishing company. Um, and that company has been representing them now for the last two years. Um, it's entered a joint venture with uh, Sony Africa, Sony ATV Af South Africa, um, whereby Sony ATV is collecting their work, their monies on their works. They never collected before from international bodies, you know, because some of these guys produce hits for, you know, P-Square and some of the, the hits have had 50, 100 million views cumulatively over the last few years, but they've never seen a penny from it. So that's progress in that regard. Um, a number of the major labels, Universal, have their own publishing set up in Nigeria now, and they're actively signing up um, music publishing from various composers. That's another story as well. I feel a lot of composers are selling themselves in that regard, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and also other people like uh, Aristocrat, um, Hypertech, um, which is owned by Two Face, all the publishing work, and a few others as well. They're all coming this umbrella called the Music Publishers Association. Through that, um, they're making a lot of progress in doing what I said needed to be done, which is you know, documenting who owns what through publishing agreements and split sheets. And then the hardest part, which is getting those interests and works registered with 
international bodies that actually are responsible for collecting most of the money and distributing that money to the various owners. So um, add to that, you know, we got this important judgment last week, which is now improved how CMOs will distribute money that's owned, that's owed to publishers and, and uh, labels. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. We're starting to see progress now because a lot of the groundwork has been laid over the last three or four years, not just by myself and our firm, but, you know, one or two other specialists. And we're starting to see real, real progress now. And I think the timing is just about right because it's now that we're really starting to get international recognition and consumption of uh, Nigerian-owned pop music all over the world. So I think the time is, is about right. Yeah, there's a proper music publishing structure in Nigeria now, I'm happy to say. Um, so trends to look out for next year. Um, I expect to see more money being paid out locally by CMOs, especially in light of the judgment that the music publishers uh, secured last week. So more money to be paid from uh, locally, from local CMOs to composers. Secondly, the, uh, the amount of money should increase that's paid because um, I believe, particularly this year, a lot of revenue has been generated from Nigerian copyright works all over the world. Apart from the major releases from, from our major acts such as Burner Boy, David O'Wiz, um, a lot of those uh, songs on those albums were composed or partially composed by composers based in Nigeria, who will, as a result of the work that has been done over the last uh, two to three years by myself, my specialist people in the industry, they will start seeing more money from those sources. With more money being paid locally, higher amounts of money being paid, no problem. So also disputes as a result. Um, whether it's just media or that also go to court, um, particularly disputes between legacies with classic songs from let's say 20, 30 years ago, that songs that are now being uh, used or parts of the songs being used in modern hits. Uh, we've seen uh, a lot of that recent last year, a number of disputes like that. And uh, lastly, um, I'm hoping uh, that uh, we'll see more investment. So possibly, uh, investors, foreign or local, catalogs of successful composers and songwriters or publishers in Nigeria. Um, and that will be likely because, as I said, there'll be more money circulating. There'll be security of ownership of who owns what, um, which, will, which creates a, an environment whereby investors may be interested in actually acquiring catalogs, knowing that those catalogs have a track record of generating revenue and will as such give them a return on their investments over time. So, I mean, those are the trends I think we should look out for. And, and if those trends come to fruition, I think it's only going to bode well for the industry overall. Can someone reach you? If anyone has questions with regards to this recording, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, the best place to reach me uh, is on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, or usually. Uh, my handle is at looms underscore bg that's l-u-m-e-s underscore bg follow me on twitter you can dm me there need to get insight because uh, i do publish a lot of uh, articles headlines and, and uh, analysis on my handle so if you want to know more about the music industry and entertainment industry in nigeria or you want to contact me about something that's the best place to get at me okay so thank you so much mr lumi uh
that's why the network challenges we're able to go through all the questions. Um, thank you for your insight as well. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope you had a great time as well. I did, Rita. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm definitely going to be following what's going on with the IP series going forward. And uh, I hope to come back again in future. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And so we've come to the end of this episode. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode on collecting management organization. Don't forget you can send your questions to ipseriesinfo at gmail.com. On to the next IP Series Christmas edition. Cheers, guys, and happy holidays.